In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about seeing the difference between guilt and shame. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. Let's discover how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. Okay, how is Cindy? It's my wife, and she seems pretty frustrated. Not good, I'm afraid. I can't get her to act right. Have you tried? I know that tone in her voice. She thinks I've forgotten again, which isn't unusual, but I haven't. Yes, I've tried four times today and still nothing. You can check if you want. Part of me wants to say, why don't you try? But I know she's frustrated. Well, we both are. Cindy is our robot vacuum cleaner. And for some reason, she's not working like she should. There's a problem somewhere, and I'm not exactly sure where. She's doing a weird thing with the map of our house. For some reason, she has taken a huge portion of our house and turned it 45 degrees, so the middle of our house looks like, well, diagonal. It's hard to explain, but Cindy now thinks there's a huge wall going through our kitchen, even though there's nothing there at all. When she has an accurate map of the house, we can use the phone app to tell her to clean the living room or one of the kids' bedrooms, and she'll hop to it, do her thing, and then perch herself back on the charging station as soon as she's done. Now, well, she vacuums one sliver of the kitchen, then navigates around an imaginary wall she apparently thinks exists to go back to her station after vacuuming maybe a tenth of the space. The solution is asking Cindy to remap our house. But for some reason, I've sent her out to remap the house four times today, and none of those times have worked. The first time, she mapped almost everything perfectly, but got stuck somewhere in my daughter's room and did that 45-degree thing again. I mean, she's a mess. I know, my wife loves picking up her phone, sending Cindy out on a mission or two, and coming home to a newly vacuumed living room and kitchen. But now, Cindy just isn't cooperating. And that's frustrating. There's something in the back of my mind thinking we probably need to get rid of Cindy. I mean, she's supposed to make our lives easier. And it's not us. It's definitely her. Cindy isn't our first robot vacuum. As I think about it, she's probably closer to our fourth one in the last 10 years. I remember the first one we had couldn't be programmed at all, but simply careened around our house in random patterns. It was like watching an air hockey game, but we never knew who won. But the floors were a lot cleaner. But after a couple of years, the wheel stopped turning. Each of the robots have a lifespan, and we've worn them all out after a few years. But Cindy is less than a year old, and this is much too soon. Cindy, of course, is an appliance. Things wear out. Things go wrong. And, of course, we have warranties to keep us covered in events like this. But from Cindy's perspective, she doesn't know any different. She doesn't think. She doesn't feel. She's simply a product of her programming and her environment. 
The fact that I call this machine she is artificial. But if Cindy were a person, I wonder what she would feel. As Christians, we often act a lot like Cindy. We often let some bad programming and comfortable environments dictate how we act and what we do. I'm afraid we probably do the same thing Cindy is doing now, seeing walls where none exist, but acting like they do, and then doing poor jobs as a result. None of us is as good as we know we could be, and how we feel about that often dictates how we react. We could do better, but we may not see all of our options because we've blinded ourselves to them. I watched a YouTube video recently that stuck in my brain from researcher Brene Brown. Brown became famous for a couple TED Talks where she talked about vulnerability and shame. It's the video on shame I can't quite get over. We don't talk about shame very well, and I understand why. Shame isn't fun. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks about how people in the congregation there were taking each other to court over internal squabbles. Paul told them that was their shame. There's not a lot good about shame. It's a word I have used interchangeably with guilt in the past. But I must confess, it's hard for me to see the difference between guilt and shame. According to Brown, guilt is knowing we have done something wrong and being uncomfortable with it. Shame is feeling we are intrinsically flawed and therefore unworthy of acceptance or love. I don't know if that completely meshes with what I see in the Bible, but I recognize the feeling. If Cindy was a person, I could see how she could feel shame. There's something intrinsically wrong with her. She has one job to clean our floors. One job. And she's not doing it because there's something wrong with her. The floors haven't changed. The phone app hasn't changed. But maybe there's a malfunctioning part or a bad piece of programming that's giving her bad information. It really is her fault. She really is bad. But as Christians, I see the trap in shame. It's a short step from doing the wrong thing and being the wrong thing. I mean, what's the difference between being a saint who sins and being a sinner? According to Brown, there's a huge difference. She says shame is highly correlated with addiction, depression, violence, aggression, bullying, suicide, and eating disorders. When your problems define who you are, the world is a pretty dark place. However, Brown says your answer might be guilt. Guilt is inversely correlated with those things. In other words, if you can separate who you are with what you've done, then you can change what you do. Or according to Brown, the ability to hold something we've done or failed to do up against who we want to be is incredibly adaptive.
It's uncomfortable, but it's adaptive. The difference between who we are and what we are is an important distinction. Paul recognizes that as well. In the same passage where Paul tells the Corinthians they're being idiots by taking each other to the court, he talks about the unrighteous. He says the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, sexually perverse, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, or cheats will not be a part of God's kingdom. But in case you think they were all better than that, Paul follows that list up with this. Such were some of you. So, what does it mean that they aren't anymore? Well, we know it doesn't mean they hadn't done those things he just listed. It means they had been sexually immoral or greedy or drunk. They did it. The list of sins Paul just spit out were their problems. But did their problems define them? Or were they the things they had to deal with? The very next phrase, Paul answers our question. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look, if your car is broken and you get it fixed, you use it again. You get to redeem your car. Is Cindy a problem or does Cindy have a problem? Well, it depends on how motivated we are to save Cindy. Do we get rid of her or fix the parts that aren't working? When we talk about cars and robot vacuums, there's an economic formula that comes into our heads. Will we spend too many resources to get it fixed? It's easy to say that the formula should simply include the price of a replacement. But a huge cost includes the value of your time and effort. If I can get Cindy fixed under warranty, but the repair comes two years from now and requires 60 hours of my undivided attention, the cost is too high. There comes a point where it's not worth the trouble. But we aren't that way. If you look at the parable of the lost sheep or the lost coin, where God was willing to leave 99 behind to search out the one, we see God is willing to invest us with importance. We're worth it. So, if you're stuck in that place of unfixable shame, how do you convert that to a fixable guilt? According to Brown, she says, we desperately don't want to experience shame and we're not willing to talk about it. Yet the only way to resolve shame is to talk about it. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame into the Petri dish, and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. Again, Paul knew this. In the second letter we have from Paul to the Corinthians, he talks about the sorrow needed to make them change. In that passage, he says in chapter 7, starting in verse 8, 
He wrote to make them feel bad in order to get them to change. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. And that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. In other words, Paul had to expose their vulnerabilities to make them better. The secrecy, silence, and self-condemnation had to go away. Why? Because godly grief leads to salvation. But we can't get that without being vulnerable, admitting our faults, and exposing the parts that just don't work. According to Brown, vulnerability is the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness. But it appears that it's also the birthplace of joy, of creativity, of belonging, of love. Look, Paul was joyful over the ability of the Corinthians who had problems to face them. It's often easy to see other people's flaws and talk behind their backs, but it doesn't help them, and it makes you worse. The other thing I've been thinking a lot about is a portion of a speech by Teddy Roosevelt. It's often called the man in the arena. But the part of that speech that is so often quoted still rings true. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done the better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold, and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. It kind of sounds like the Christian walk. Cindy has problems. Cindy is a problem. But she can't fix herself. (laughs) I have to fix her or get her replaced. And it doesn't make much difference to me which. I'm minimizing costs. But God is very clear with us. We are not problems. We are his children, if we will choose him back. The only road to God, though, is to recognize our guilt and let him fix it. Because that is 
the path to joy, creativity, belonging, and love. Let's decide to stop letting shame paralyze us and instead let guilt mobilize us. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm grateful for simple pleasures. When I was a much younger man, it used to take a lot to impress me, but as I age, I see the wisdom in finding joy in smaller things. My daughter Abby and I talked about Converse sneakers a little this week, and it was fun getting a 12-year-old perspective on Chuck Taylor Hive Top Shoes. I feel pretty certain she'll forget that conversation, but I don't think I ever will. There were a few eye rolls, some laughter, and her telling me about this cool shoe she discovered that's been around since 1917. (laughs) I just had to smile. As you may have gathered, I had problems with the edit with my second episode on Grace, which features Mark McCrary, Matt Haneke, and Wyatt Taylor. I promise you, that is an excellent conversation. But there were some sinking issues, and they'll get fixed this week. And I do plan to have that episode next week. So until next time, let's be good and do good.